All right. Good morning, church. It is so cool to be together. It's hard to believe that we wake up and it is the month of May. It just seems like we were celebrating Christmas not too long ago, and now we're already in the month of May. With that in mind, let me share with you several things. One, next week uh, is Mother's Day. Kids, wake up. Mother's Day next week, next Sunday. We have free photos for mom. At the end of the month, we'll be doing worship outside for the holiday for a couple reasons. One, the sanctuary is going to be all filled with scaffolding. They're having to paint the ceilings from leaks that we had uh, over the years. You can't necessarily tell it, but it will be repainted that week. So we're going to join together outside the last Sunday of May for Memorial Day weekend. We'll have a worship service at 1030 combined together. At the end of that service, we'll be providing hot dogs on the grounds, kind of doing that Memorial Day thing and celebrating life together. Also, want to challenge the men and women of the church to be here this Wednesday. We've been in individual classes on Wednesday nights, but this month, the whole month of May, all four Wednesday nights, men will be gathering together, women will be gathering together. The men will be looking at the theme, We Must Protect This House. Kind of, if you remember the old Under Armour commercial, we're kind of playing off of that and realizing we must protect this house, we must protect our house, and we must lead out in God's house. And so we'll be looking at all of those things. Women, you'll be looking at the video series coming out of the women's retreat that just happened at Falls Creek called Dwell. We have special speakers that will be appearing by video, and the women will be going through those two things this Wednesday night. Well, if you have your Bibles, start finding 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to finish the series on growing faith as we've looked at Elijah's example. And this sermon today couldn't be more appropriate than on a senior Sunday. And so for our graduating seniors, I want you to really tune in. But this message isn't just for seniors who are graduating. This message is also for mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, and the generation that's coming up from behind this class of seniors. It's for each and every one of us. Elijah, as we look at his story, we have a tendency to look at Elijah and David and others and look at them as supernatural, extraordinary guys doing extraordinary things. What we've come to understand is that they are just ordinary people, just like you and me, and nobody more ordinary than Elijah. Elijah grew, didn't grow up in the big city. He didn't grow up uh, in, in, in fame or privilege. He grew up in the hills. He was just a little old redneck like most of us out of Oklahoma. And, and he was just an ordinary guy who gave his life over to an extraordinary God. And when that happens, if you'll let God do the extraordinary, your life doesn't have to be defined like everybody else's. We learn that through God's supernatural power, he does a supernatural work. Now, how does he do that? Well, he has to grow our faith. As we surrender our life to the Lord in faith, we are saved by faith through grace. As we place our faith in Christ, we become a baby in Christ. And then there's this growth process, this journey of faith. As we go through life, God is growing us. He's deepening our faith. And he does that through places like Kirith, seasons of life, where he leads us through times of brokenness. He may have you in a season of life like he did with Elijah where we've been at Zarephath, the time where he's refining your faith or stretching your faith and challenging you, and that's how we grow. But after three years, we find that God now is going to give him a new assignment. And last Sunday, we learned that as God has grown our faith, he does that through circumstances. He does that as we live life, but he does it over long periods of time. Are you submitted 
to God's will. The seniors, did you ever think it was ever going to get here? Did you ever think you would finally get to walk a stage and graduate? No, it seems like it's forever until we get that diploma and we get to launch out on our own. And yet, for many of us looking backwards, it seems like it was just like that. Time is a crazy thing that God uses in our life to grow us. But if we're not careful, if we don't submit to God working in our lives, it's like an automobile. We will slowly drift out of alignment. Thank you, Jesus. And so as you've had any vehicle for any period of time, you can take it to the greatest mechanic in town, and just a week later, you can pay for a front-end alignment, and just a week later, your car will already start drifting off of center. Well, that's true of you and me as well, personally and spiritually, that if we don't give attention, if we don't align ourselves to God's word and God's ways and God's will every day, we will slowly drift out of bounds. And then we experience what most uh, who just got their learning permit experience. Take a look at the next picture. Here's what happens. Over time, just one degree off center, and we find ourselves in a ditch. We find ourselves where we don't want to be, and how did we get there? We drifted one degree, one degree, one degree, until we find ourselves where we shouldn't be. That happens to a culture. That happens to us. It happened to King David. And it can certainly happen in your life as well. We can all get off track. Our culture today has not only drifted one degree, it's like we're 180 degrees drifted away from God's will and God's ways. And so what do you do when you wake up in a culture that is opposite of what God has designed? For our seniors, I would tell you, you are waking up in a day much different than your parents and grandparents. A slow drift has happened in our country to where we wake up today and one degree one year, one degree another year, one degree another year, and over time we wake up and we are going in the total opposite direction of God's design and God's will. And you inherit that kind of nation, that kind of culture. So what do you do? Do you cave to the culture? Let's learn from Elijah how we can make a difference in our world to our seniors be an Elijah generation. To moms and dads, let's repent of letting that drift happen on our watch and let's step up and let's also be an Elijah generation. Look at it. Verse 17. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17. It's been three years. Elijah has waited on the Lord. Elijah has listened to the Lord and the Lord has told him, go to Kirith. He was there for probably right at two years. God then said, go to Zarephath. He's wanting to go to the palace. He's wanting to make a difference in his world, but God is developing his faith. Again, to our seniors, I would tell you, God's been growing your faith, and and through your parents and through your church, seeds of faith have been planted, and you've been encouraged. And I would tell you, let that now bear fruit. Become an Elijah generation. Elijah now gets a chance to leave Zarephath, and God says it's time to go and speak Ahab, it's been three years. There's a drought in the land. There's a famine, and life is not good. They have looked to the false gods of Baal and Asherah. They have turned their back on the living God, thinking all these other gods would give them what they're looking for, and they've come up empty, bankrupt, and destitute. So Ahab finds Elijah finally. He's been searching for three years trying to kill this guy, this bad guy named Elijah. Well, he now finds Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Is this you, troubler of Israel? 
The very first things out of his mouth is he puts the blame for all the issues, not his governance, not his own personal choices, but the reason they have problems in the land is because Elijah has put a curse on the land. Wrong. Their rebellious hearts, their deceitful ways, their fleshly choices have brought the famine to the land. Elijah was just pointing them to truth. But those who stand for truth and those who live for truth get accused of being the troublers, the troublemakers. As a matter of fact, do you understand being in a church today in America? You're a troublemaker. You're a troubler. The reason we don't have peace in the streets and in our communities is because you have a bigoted way of looking at life, or so they say. Ahab thought the same thing of Elijah. Elijah, if you would just fit in, if you would just see life like we see it, we could all get along. And Elijah's going to show them, listen, the way you've been going, I don't want to get on that bus. That bus, bus is heading off a cliff. That will not work. He said to him, verse 18, Elijah's response, I've not troubled Israel, but it was you and your father's house because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you followed after the Baals. Elijah said, the reason we're having trouble in this land is not because of me or you can point your finger wherever you want. It's because of the choices that this culture has made turning its back on the living God. And I would tell you the same is true for our nation. The same is going on in our watch and among our generation. We too have chosen, it may not be Baal that we worship, Uh, we worship the God of ourselves, the God of our pleasure, the God of our own desires, and we wake up not as a nation under God, but a nation that wants nothing to do with God. That's why we are troubled. And you can blame it on this person or that regime or that politic or that way, but I would tell you it's because we have turned our backs on the ways of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we've seen this before, but I'm going to show you the last part of the verse. I've told you before that the reason there is so much darkness in the land is because the truth is being veiled. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, Paul was preaching and said, the reason people can't see truth is because the God of this world is veiling, blocking that truth where they can't see it. But look at verse 6. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Look at verse 6. What do we do? How do we step into that when we are a generation like Elijah's? When everyone else is blinded to truth, how do we who know the truth take a stand? Well, in verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for God is the one who said, light shall shine out of darkness. Matter of fact, the brighter the light, the better it is to shine when it's even darker. And instead of us waking up and saying, oh, woe is us, oh man, we're outnumbered, oh man, nobody believes in truth anymore and it's so dark and everybody, I'm just going to gather up on Sunday with my fellow Christians and I'm just going to endure it the rest of the week. Is that how we live? The Bible says light is to shine out into the darkness. And Elijah's going to do that. He is going to step into the darkness of his culture He's going to stand, even when no one else wanted to, he would be the one to let his light shine. It says here, light will shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This world doesn't need another sermon. What this world needs is another Elijah. 
This world doesn't need somebody cramming Jesus down their throat. What they need is somebody who has Jesus living from their heart. Do you see the difference? And that's what Elijah's going to do. He's going to let the light shine in times of darkness. May this generation and may we do the same. May we learn from Elijah how to do that well. So now, as Elijah is called out to take his stand, as God calls us out, how do we do that well? Well, we need to know this. Just because we're outnumbered doesn't mean that that isn't where we go. A lot of people today are shrinking back and saying, well, nobody wants to hear the truth. Everybody has their own truth. And so we just kind of sail along trying not to ripple or cause any waves. The Bible says, wide is the path that leads to destruction. But there are those who find the narrow way. You don't have to be on the popular path. You don't have to be in the majority. I, I would say to you what's been said before, I believe it was Knox who said, me plus God equals a majority. doesn't matter how many numbers are against you. Think about Elijah's context. Everybody was against him. It wasn't just an evil king and his evil wife. It wasn't just Ahab and Jezebel. It wasn't just the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. It was all of Israel. Everybody was drinking the Kool-Aid but Elijah. He was outnumbered by his whole culture. And yet Elijah was light in the darkness. What does that look like? How do we do that? Go to verse 19. First of all, you've got to step up. You can't just hide out at Zarephath. You can't just let God grow your faith. And you can't just do life. There are times that you have to step up amidst the culture that walks in darkness. So Elijah does it. Verse 19. So he said to Ahab, send and gather to me all of Israel at Mount Carmel, together with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel, and he brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Now look at verse 21. I want you to see this. In verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people, and he doesn't give them a sermon, but he does give them a challenge. He doesn't just sit back and sing kumbaya, but he does give him a challenge. Listen to what he said. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? He called out the issue. Here was the issue. The issue was Israel wanted to say, oh, we believe in Jehovah, but because of the political correctness in our culture, we're also going to believe in Baal. We're going to believe that there is this God named Jehovah who brought us out of Egypt, who's delivered us from our bondage, but just to play it safe, we're going to also embrace the things of this world, and we're going to cover all bases. We're going to be a distinctive people called Israel, but we're going to live like everyone else so we can all be along and get along. That's where we are today in our culture. Every day we're taught that we're not to live by truth, we're to live by popular consensus. We are to embrace everybody's Kool-Aid and just mix it all up as one big batch and we sing Kumbaya together as long as you have your truth and I have my truth. And those two opinions that are contrasting one another cannot both be true. And so Elijah calls them on it. Guys, we can't keep living one side on the fence and another side on this side of the fence. You cannot do it. How long will you hesitate between two opinions? So I say to our seniors, 
you're about to take a next step either into the workforce or into our colleges and universities that have a whole different way of living and thinking. And they're going to force you to embrace their humanistic ways. Be an Elijah. Stand for truth. Let your light shine in darkness. You cannot live in one opinion, embrace an opposite opinion, and call that a true life. That's hypocrisy. It's madness. Think about it. Two different opinions? I'll give you a classic case in study. Think about this. We live in a generation so messed up. You know what we have in our generation? Fat-free ice cream. I've told you about this before. It is demonic. It is evil. It is not right. And we embrace it. And we will get a big old tub of that and we'll sit down with it and we'll think, man, don't you dig my diet? Are you kidding me? Fat-free ice cream? Uh-uh. You can't have it both ways. Shouldn't even have it on this side at all. Why anybody even goes there, I have no idea. And that's what's happening in our culture. Our culture is saying, okay, yeah, God says it's this way, but maybe there's another way. And matter of fact, we're tired of his ways, and so we're going to bring a more enlightened way. And we're having to drink that Kool-Aid unless we become troublemakers and troublers of our nation. And it's tempting. I'm tempted to declare myself and uh, kind of uh, identify as a female and get four more years of college scholarship. And I'm not making light of that. I, I, yes, I was. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. What I'm saying is how crazy things have become that you get to pick and decide what is true. And I'm not being a fundamentalist, hell preaching brimstone. I'm just telling you the truth. The truth is the truth. And what isn't the truth is not the truth. And they may claim it as a truth. It's my truth. Well, okay. But where's that bus leading? Where's that taking you? Today, our seniors are walking into a crazy world of undefined truth. Where anything can be a truth. And Elijah stood in his time and said, no, there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life. You say, that's too narrow. Well, aren't you glad that somebody doesn't believe today that rat poison is what you should have for lunch today? Aren't you glad that there is truth that can be discovered and truth shows up in the form of a person? And Elijah stood for that person. Let's take a look at it. Here's our problem. It's, it's kind of like, do you remember when we used to go to the movie theaters? Do you remember those days, pre-COVID? Remember we used to pack out movie theaters? And, and, and you get your fat-free ice cream and your tub of fat-free popcorn, and you go walking into the theater, and you remember when you first open the door and you come in, and you're like, oh my goodness, where, where am I going to sit? And you can't see anything. And you kind of have to stand there for a while, and the longer you stand there, what starts to happen? The darkness starts to become your friend. You start to adapt to the darkness. In that room where you could barely see anything at all, all of a sudden you can see pretty good in there. You know why? Because you've ad adjusted to the darkness. Now I get it. You turn on the lights, it's real hard to see the movie screen. But that reality is what's happening in our culture. We are embracing the darkness and the darkness is conditioning us and that's becoming our truth. Instead, we are to be the light that shines 
in the darkness. How do we do that? Let's take a look at it. Go back to 1 Kings 18 and verse 22. I'll try to go quick. So Elijah calls out a challenge. He says, okay, let's do this. Let's prove. Uh, Both cannot be true because they both say opposite things. So let's prove who the true God is. So he throws down a challenge. Let's meet on Mount Carmel. We'll create an altar, a place of sacrifice. If Baal is a true God, then let him answer with fire. If God is the true God, let him answer with fire. Let's prove it. Guys, I can tell you, I followed after the gods of this world growing up, and I can tell you I was left as empty as they're about to be left by Baal here on the mountain. I can tell you that all the things that I looked to and all the things that my culture told me were going to fill me and satisfy me left me empty just like what's about to happen here. Baal's going to leave them hanging. And Elijah calls him, and he says this. You call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord, And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people all of a sudden got real spiritual, and all of a sudden they spoke up. Before, when he was calling down the challenge, nobody would say a word. Now everybody says, okay, this is a great idea. Because you know what they think? It wasn't because they were seeking truth. They just wanted to silence Elijah. They thought, okay, Elijah, you supernatural guy, you believe in supernatural things. We're fixing to show how stupid you are. There ain't no God answering by fire, but we'll play your game. And so they have the throwdown. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you guys go first, and and you pick both oxen. He wanted to show, I'm not stacking the deck. You can pick any two oxen you want. You can go first. Hey, we can get this over real quick. If you're God's God, prove it. Let's go. And so the Bible says that they gathered their ox, they offered it on an altar, and they started crying out to their God, Baal. It says they started in the morning. And all day long until noon, they cried out in their false prayers to their false gods. And guess what happened? Zero. For the first 17 years of my life, I cried out looking for meaning in life and purpose. I went to the same places and drank from the same wells as my friends. I had the things I was pumping into my life that my culture said, man, if you just had more of this and more of that, you'll find life. And I found nothing told you before, I remember laying in bed one night and saying, God, if this is all there is to life, I don't want to live another day. I was empty. I had nothing. And that's what the prophets of Baal brought at this moment. And it came about at noon, verse 27. I love this about Elijah. I cannot prove that this is Elijah being filled with the Spirit, but I dig it. It's in Scripture. Take a look at it. Look at verse 27. He starts talking smack. My fantasy football friends in the room, smack is spiritual at times. Can I get an amen from Brian Matlock? No, I can't. I don't know why. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them, and he said, call out with a louder voice, for he is a god, right? So he must be occupied or he's gone aside. Now, if you dig in on this, what was he mocking? He was basically saying, your god must be distracted. I mean, if you claim he's a God, but he's not answering, you got to have a reason, right? Why is he not answering? Oh, he's probably out shopping. He may be on the golf course. Maybe if you shout louder, he can hear your voice. Or maybe this is the reality. This is where it gets really good. Maybe he's gone aside. You know what he was saying? Maybe he's gone to the men's room. That's what he was saying. Maybe he is powdering his nose. That's what He's really rubbing their face in it. And then he goes on to say, or maybe he's gone on a long journey. Maybe he's far, far away. Or, or maybe 
the dude's sleeping on the job. Maybe he's taking a nap. Wake him up. Yell louder. So you know what they did? They yelled louder. For the next three hours, they would cut themselves and they would give all their passion to a lie. And here's the sad thing about this story. There are some people that are more passionate about a lie than we are who know the truth. I mean, look at what all they were doing for hours and hours and hours. They're living a lie, and they were being more passionate moment by moment. They're not losing energy. They're giving everything they have to a lie. And Elijah has to say, guys, it ain't working. I don't hear anything from your God. Can we all draw a conclusion? You're living a lie. So then Elijah steps up, and he points to only the one who can answer. The only one who can meet the need of your life. The only one who is living and who came and paid the price for those who were dead in their sin. He points them to the Lord God. So look at verse 30. So what do you do? Elijah's turn. Elijah steps up. Seniors, it's your turn. Moms and dads, it's time we take our turn. Instead of passing the buck on to the next generation, we too need to step up. How do we do that? What do you do? Well, notice what he didn't do. He didn't stand up and say, I told you so. He didn't stand up and give him another sermon. What did he do? Take a look at verse 30. So he called all the people to himself. He gathered them up. He went to them. He engaged them. He invited them into a conversation. And look at what he did. He said, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And the very first thing he did, watch this, he repaired the altar of the Lord. What was the problem in Israel? A lot of people would have said, we need a new king. The problem is Ahab and Jezebel. Well, they were a problem. But that isn't who Elijah fixed. Elijah didn't say, guys, you want our nation back? You want to be where we need to be? You got to vote somebody else in. You know what Elijah did? He drew the people together. And you know where he took them? He took them to the altar. And right there in front of all of them, he knelt down And he took 12 stones, one for each tribe, and he rebuilt the altar. See, the problem in Israel was not their politics. The problem in Israel was not the culture. The problem was the people of God who had compromised and drank the Kool-Aid of the world. They had left the altar torn down and broken down. They had begun to live like everybody else. And can I say, that reality is happening more today in the church in America than ever before. There are people who will pray a prayer on Sunday morning, they'll get baptized, and they will live just like the rest of the world with no prayer, no altar, no life, no walk with God, and expect that all will go well, and I'm heading for heaven someday. Craziness, madness. And I would say to you today and to our seniors, if I could give you a graduation gift, I would take you back to the altar. To make sure that wherever you go, whether it's back to a career or it's to a university, take the altar with you. Have that time with God. You see, Israel, pray for me as I get up. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good thing. Israel had a religion. Israel was worshiping, but they had no relationship with God. They were full of the ways of the world. They had one foot on one side of the fence, another foot on the other side of the fence, and they wondered why they weren't getting anywhere. Can you bring up that picture? I think I skipped it. Can you pick up the picture of when we live on one side and try to live on the other side of the fence? Here's what you get. 
ground beef right there, all right? I tried to find a human picture. Nobody would validate it. It happens all the time. And if you're a kid, remember we used to try to walk on those poles, you know, and try to walk across the fence line? Guess what happens when you fend up with one leg on each side of the fence? It ain't pretty. It's painful. Can I get an amen from the men in the congregation? Israel, trying to live on one side, yeah, Yahweh, ah, uh, Baal. And they were getting nowhere. Well, actually, they were. They were getting further and further and further down the line of destruction. And Elijah steps in, and he starts at the altar. And today, I would say the greatest need in our country is not a new president, not lower gas prices, it's repaired altars. That what we need today starts right here at PCBC. It starts right here with this heart in my altar. And like Elijah, I need to repair that altar. I need to return back to a relationship with God, not just knowing there is a God and not just showing up at church, but I need an altar. I need to walk with God. And Elijah drew them all back, not with a sermon, but with repentance. Come back to the altar. But here's something beautiful. Take a look at the rest of the story and we'll close. So Elijah took those 12 stones, he rebuilt the altar, he cried out to God, and he had people come and douse the altar with all this water so that nobody could doubt that it was only God who could light up the offering. In verse 35 it says, the water flowed around the altar and it filled the trench with water, and at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice... Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God. So get this. Morning and noon, all through the first part of the day, Baal and their false worship was exposed as a lie. It says that they went all the way to the time of the evening sacrifice. What is the significance of that? What is the significance of the evening sacrifice? If you have notes, write down Numbers chapter 28. In Numbers chapter 28, let me show you the value of what was happening here. This whole showdown of fire on the altar comes out of Numbers 28. And Numbers 28 isn't just something that happened in the day of Moses, although it did. It was something that happened in the days of Moses that was foreshadowing what was happening in the days of Jesus in Calvary. Let me show it to you. You might want to look at it. It's pretty fascinating. Go to Numbers 28 in verse 1. So this is back in Moses' day. The Lord spoke to Moses. said, command the sons of Israel and say to them, you to be careful to present my offering." My food for my offerings by fire of a soothing aroma to me in their appointed time. For you shall offer one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Drop down to verse 8. So the other lamb you shall offer in the evening, the evening sacrifice. As the morning grain offering and its drink offering, you shall now offer it as an offering made by fire at the evening offering. And so what they did in that day is they would have their time of worship. They would come to an altar. They would sacrifice an innocent critter for the guilt of the people's sin. They would have two lambs. They would have a morning time, but then there was an evening offering. And at the evening offering, they would offer a burnt offering. An all-consuming, innocent critter burned for the sins of the people. 
that evening offering was at three in the afternoon. That doesn't sound like evening in our culture, but that's when evening began in the Jewish world. It started at three o'clock in the afternoon. Let me take you to Calvary. There was numbers. Let me take you to Calvary. Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been put on a cross. And it was at three in the afternoon, at the time of the evening sacrifice, that the Lamb of God, Jesus, was slain for the sins of the world. And what Elijah was doing on the mountain, he didn't realize, but in that evening sacrifice, he was setting a picture foreshadowing what God would do for us in our sin on a cross at a place called Calvary, at the evening sacrifice. We go back to 1 Kings 18, it says that when this happened, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood and the stones and the dust, and when did it show up? At the evening sacrifice, a picture of what God would do in the days ahead. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord is God, the Lord, he is God. They went from confusion, living a lie, to everybody repenting and saying, no, 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 we get it now. There is one true God. It is the Lord. To the seniors, you're about to walk into a world of multiple gods and lack of gods. A world that believes in no God and a world that believes in anything can be God. Stand like Elijah. Don't just learn the stories of the Bible. You be a story. You be a story that shines light in the darkness. Moms and dads, let's don't leave it to the seniors. We too need to step into it. And when you do, when you take a stand, God takes a stand for you. We can look all the way back in the days of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story when they were thrown in the fiery furnace and there was God with them in that. God delivered them. And it says in that day, that wicked Babylon that believed in no living God, believed in all these false gods, all of a sudden there was repentance in the land. A declaration was made by Nebuchadnezzar who said, don't mess with these guys. Don't touch these guys. These guys have proven only their God can deliver like has just happened through this fire. I'll take you to a better story. It's in Acts chapter 7. And it's interesting. It's somebody who relates to this senior class. He too was a teenager. He too was stepping into that next stage of adulthood. Stephen, this teenager, was preaching the gospel to a dark world, letting his light shine. And as he preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 7, there is a band of thugs that didn't come off the streets. They came out of the synagogues. There were a bunch of religious guys who had a religion following a guy named Saul of Tarsus and they were trying to wipe out this lie, this troublemaking Christianity. They've dragged Stephen out of the city. They've thrown him in a pit. I told you before that when they did stonings, what they would do is they would go outside the city and they had these pits that they had dug out and they would throw the blasphemer in the pit and it was surrounded by big jagged rocks that you had to pick up with two hands you had to be a strong male and you would pick it up you would hoist it up and you would throw it down and the force of that would crush their skull and their skeleton Stephen is looking up and he sees the perimeter of this hole and it's surrounded by evil eyes that are now throwing these rocks these stones down on top of him and he continues to preach, and he prays for them. 
much like Jesus did. Father, they know not what they do, and yet as he's declaring the truth, it says in Acts chapter 7 that as he was praying, listen to what it says. Now, when they heard this, he was preaching the truth that they had crucified the Lord. They began gnashing their teeth at him, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. Notice his perspective. To get his eyes on heaven, he had to look out the perimeter. There are all these beady, evil eyes looking down. He doesn't see the evil. He doesn't see the stones that are raining down on his body. He sees past all that, and it's as if God gives him a heavenly vision, and all of a sudden, the spiritual realm has opened up for him to see. And you know what he saw? Look at it. It's glorious. Turn to Acts chapter 7 and verse 56. Acts chapter 7, verse 56. Listen to what it says. Go up to verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then he breathed his last. The last thing he saw on this planet was the Lord Jesus himself standing at the right hand of the Father. Anywhere else you look through Scripture... You'll always see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. That's what kings do. They, they rule and reign from their throne. So why would Jesus be standing? I think it was Dave Busby, a guy that many of us listened to when we were youth pastors in the day. I think it was Dave Busby who painted the picture this way. That Jesus, who was sitting on his throne, is looking over the portals of heaven down into planet Earth Back then it was Elijah, now it's Stephen, someone taking a stand. And as he's taking that stand, as he's letting his light shine in darkness, he knows that he's about to take his last breath. And Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, steps up out of that throne. And he's standing there, and Dave Busby said, I can only imagine that there is Jesus cheering him on and saying, Stephen, well done, go for it, brother, go. And he's cheering Stephen on from heaven. But why else would he be standing? Because Stephen's about to take his last breath. And when we take our last breath, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be... To be where? Present with the Lord. And here's this young man taking a stand in times of darkness. And as he takes a stand, so does Jesus. Not just to cheer him on, but to welcome him home and say, well done, good and faithful Stephen. Well done, Elijah. Well done, class of 2022. Will he say that? Or will we fade into the darkness and be like the rest of the nation? Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Woo! Brimstone's done. You're all right now. You can go back. What are you going to do with that? How long are we going to hesitate between two opinions? Actually, not two opinions. How long are we going to hesitate between truth and lies? Two ways of living. God's design or the world's ways. You can get on the path that is wide to destruction. A lot of people go there. Or you can go like Elijah. You can stay in God's lane and experience the blessing and the glory of God. There may be somebody here today and 
You don't even know the Lord. You're like Ahab and Jezebel. You've been trying all these other gods. You've been trying all this other stuff to satisfy the soul hunger of your heart. But it remains silent. It isn't satisfying. It isn't filling you. It isn't working. You, you have that emptiness. And you don't know what it is. You just know it isn't working. I would tell you, you need to learn what they learned on Mount Carmel. It's the Lord God. The one who sent Jesus. The one who so loved you that he sent his only begotten son for the evening sacrifice. To answer your heart cry. Who showed up in that hour, at the evening hour. So that you might be saved. You say, what in the world? Yeah, he became the Lamb of God. He became an innocent sacrifice for we the guilty. Just as it was prophesied in the scripture. Why? Because God loves you. Because God wanted to give you a new life. A life that is no longer in bondage to sin, but has a relationship now with a holy God. That can be yours through Christ. But you have to believe in your heart. You can't believe in your head. You can't just be a religious person. We see that on Mount Carmel. We see that in the days of Stephen. Those who had a religion, they also were empty. They were dead. They needed relationship with a holy God. And so do you. So I'm going to encourage you, if that's you this morning, you come to one of our ministers and say, man, that's me. I need Jesus. I need to be saved. You come. But I think there are a lot of us in this room that need to repent and say, God, forgive me for the condition of my altar. God, today, I repair that altar. Lord, I come back to you. And daily, Lord, I will begin my day at your feet at the altar of worship. And God, I'll live each day living for you the way, the truth, and life. God, forgive me for letting the darkness overwhelm me. I want to be light that shines in the darkness. If that's you, you might want to fall to your knees. Or you might want to come up here and we'll pray with you. We'll encourage in your faith. Or maybe you need to be a part of a family of God. When he put those 12 stones out, he said, we're all in this together. We want to walk with you in your spiritual journey. We want to be your spiritual family. If you need a church home, you come like many have these last few weeks, you can join. So what's God saying to you? Lord, thank you for your word and your truth. Spirit of God, lead us now in these moments. In Jesus' name.